0: Right, let's start. We're gonna talk about coming from Devil's Jew It's something you wondered if Talking Joe would ever do I guess we'll explain it all to you Gonna take some time to read the books we've never read Oh-oh hey 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 everybody it's me mark and welcome to talking joe the best and longest running dedicated gi joe comics podcast if you are new to the show you can find out all of the details over at the website which is talkingjoe.co.uk. now today we are looking at the devil's jew era once again and we are closing out the Brandon Joa Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Jerwa. era of G.I. Joe Disavowed with Snake Eyes Declassified issues 2 to 6 which came out from Devil's Due September 2005 to January 2006 just shortly after he had concluded his run on the main book. Now, I will not be talking about them on my own Uh, I will be joined by my co-host. Unfortunately, on the way to recording, he was caught in a helicopter accident and is now mute, which might be an issue for an audio-only podcast. But let's Charlie Mike. Here he is. It's a real American. Tim.
1: That's funny because I actually had the mute button on my remote, (laughs) uh, on my microphone. Um, This is the sound of me uh making with my fingers the letters (laughs) cm in the uh sand finger quotes sand so yes we can charlie mike this episode of our podcast hello listeners Uh and hello mark
0: and i want to give out uh, a big shout out to our many listeners in costa rica i get um regular sort of emails with some you know statistics about our listening (laughs) And uh, I've noticed that in recent weeks uh, we are doing well in uh, Costa Rica. So either we've got some dedicated Costa Ricans there listening or perhaps someone has gone on holiday and been downloading in Costa Rica. But uh, yeah, if that is you, uh, do feel free to give me a shout out and, uh, and let me know. Good to have you on board regardless. Tim, so we are talking for the second time about... Snake Eyes Declassified last time round. We sort of we covered issue one in uh, some detail. We gave lots of extra background about what we thought about the overall project and, and some of the parallels to other similar things. Uh, today, we are going to be covering issues two to six. So uh, we're going to be sort of hurtling through uh, those issues. How do you feel about that, Tim? Do you think um, that sounds achievable?
1: Yeah. I... Yes, so many of the sort of overall sort of starting topics or uh, complaints are about the existence of this series, and that can nicely attach to our episode on issue one, which was really our episode on the idea of this and issue one, and now we can get into uh, some nuts and bolts. I will certainly go back to the idea of this in in today's episode.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, So this was brought to us by the creative team of Brandon Gerwa on Story, Pencils in Maliano Santa Lucia and Robert Atkins, uh, Colours John Rausch with Jeremy Jensen and uh, Letters Steve Seeley with Brian Crowley. Let's have a look at the covers in the gallery. Covers. It's Emiliano Santa Lucia with interestingly uh, issue three flip cover.
1: David Witt, which I can talk about actually. Well, uh, not very much. Um, In issues two and three, there is a full page ad. Uh, There's a full page house ad for Devil's Due covers that month, and the full page ad is a photo of someone, uh, a real person, and uh, you can't quite see their face. And they're walking by a brick wall on a sidewalk. And on the brick wall are eight large posters that um, the idea here is they've been wheat pasted to this brick wall. This is all just a Photoshop uh, composite and, and a fine one. And then on the bottom, it says in big white, uh, red and white letters, Comics that rock. This October, all Devil's Do comics feature covers by nationally infamous rock poster artists Rich Black, Casey Burns, Jeff Gaither, and David Witt. Don't miss these covers in October. Cool art by the guys whose posters adorn America's city walls. Cool covers at your comic shop. Devil's Do brings the rock. Uh, So this David Witt uh, Snake Eyes cover is actually a back cover. Uh, for issue three, and it is a very in a very different style than uh, so all six uh, front covers for this series are black and white with some red rendered as to be um, photorealistic, and they're all uh, poetic or indirect, dramatic setting the scenes. But this isn't like Mike Zek's cover to issue forty-seven. With three Joes and gritted teeth and speed lines and you know machine guns and and uh, this you know the first cover is Snake Eyes' arm in the rain and the second cover is um, the uh, headstone for Snake Eyes' sister in the snow and the third cover is uh, Snake Eyes from behind at the arch in front of Storm Shadow's uh, home and the fourth one is uh, Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes back to back. Um, uh, sorry, facing away from each other, not touching, uh, but dramatically not looking at each other with a tree, with a uh, with a cherry blossom uh, between them. And five is a bloody arrow through a wooden post. And six, even though it's sort of the most traditional, it's not a glamour shot. It's, it's a head and shoulders shot of Snake Eyes version one, but it's from behind. And you see a little bit of scarlet um, reflected in his uh, visor. And it's not a variant cover. It's just a back cover Um, on issue three is a ink drawing of Snake Eyes version two with his Uzi and his sword in the rain, uh, waist deep in the rain. And you're looking down at him and, you know, there's some attitude and uh, it's very cool. And I wouldn't have, when I saw it, if, if I hadn't seen the ad first, I wouldn't have thought, this reminds me of a show poster, of a band poster, of a rock poster. But now that I know that that's what this artist is known for, I can definitely see how this is in that world. And, you know, if I couldn't put my finger on how this wasn't traditional comic book art, uh, yes. You know, otherwise I would I would have, if I had known anything else, I would have said, uh, this guy's artwork reminds me a little bit of Paul Pope in how he inks. And uh, it's black and white in one color.
0: And of course, you could you can't see those sort of concentric circles in the water from the rain without thinking of uh, Brian Bolland uh, and Killing Joke.
1: Hmm. Mm. Um. This is actually uh, going to make a public service announcement. Um. Hey, publishers! <laughs> if if you <laughs> have to use your back cover as An ad to make money, or as a house ad to advertise another comic you publish or the next issue of this series. I get it. If you don't have anything better to do for your back cover, put some art there. My favorite example of this in the '90s, Marvel very briefly had a format called magazine, uh, which is the word magazine with a different vowel at the beginning, magazine, and it was a it was a square bound sort of four in one. It was four issues worth of comic um, published on then Marvel's sort of standard, like highest quality newsprint. And it was for these like budget reprints that Marvel did just for about a year. And uh, one of them had reprinted the first appearance of Star-Lord of Peter Quill, soon to be a guardian of the galaxy. And uh, John Byrne drew a new cover because um, he had drawn the original appearance. And Michael Golden seemingly also drew a new cover, but Marvel ran that as the back cover. And when I got it, it was really cool to have sort of two covers, without one of them without a logo, and sort of one of them didn't have to like carry the weight of being a cover, you know, like fighting against all the other comics next to it for attention or like being the best image possible to represent the interior you know two covers for the price of one i guess i'm answering my own question hey publishers why don't you do this more often because people can't see the back cover and if a publisher has to pay an artist they're paying more uh so the answer really is to do variant covers uh anyway let's talk about snake eyes declassified
0: yeah if you can do doing a variant cover why not put the other cover on the back i don't know
1: yeah uh um, yeah, I is... think, I
0: think though, Tim, probably the best thing to do is if on the back cover, if you've not got anything else, it's just to have it entirely black with the G.I. Joe logo. Oh. Um, that's probably the best thing to do.
1: The, the thing about the uh, <laughs> last 50 or 100 issues of IDW's Real American Hero is that there was always a, a panel on the inside front cover from the story you were about to read. Mm-hmm. And I always thought, well, just do something like that for the back cover. Do one panel or do one panel in black and white or do the cover in black and white. Anyway, getting back to Snake Eyes declassified. Um there is something of these six front covers that jumps out at me as quite different. And on the cover to number 3, I think, Mark, that the all the architecture and the cherry blossoms are CG. I think huh. they're th- I think they're th- 3D models. Would that have been, would someone, would a comic book artist have been doing this in 2005? The reason why I say this is that the cherry blossoms seem so, the shadows on them are all so perfect. Uh, it, it The cherry blossoms certainly look like, like 3D modeling. And I'm, I think I'm seeing just the slightest bit of anti-aliasing in the posts that are right near Snake Eyes. And the um, the roof shingles, the Japanese roof shingles, look so small and finely detailed that they don't look drawn to me. Even, you know, drawn, uh, you know, photoreal- photorealistically. You know, issue one on this arm, this is either someone looking at a photo of an arm and repainting it or maybe someone tracing a painting on top of a photo of an arm. Uh, whereas something about the issue three cover, uh, the volume of these posts and the fine detail on uh, the roof and the cherry blossoms looks um, in a in a different sort of visual uh, language. Even though it still fits because it's black and white and it's you know dramatic.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point. Hard
1: hard to say. Um, in a way that as a comparison on the cover to issue two, this um, headstone looks like it has been drawn yeah it does not look like it was built with a computer okay so just as a compare as a as an imperfect comparison when marvel was publishing the brand new day era of spider-man not just the story arc but the larger like hundred issues in google sketchup someone mm-hmm. uh in the spider-man office one of the artists built a 3D model of Peter Parker's apartment interior. And that file was shared with all the artists so that any scene that took place in Peter's apartment would be really consistent. And that's 2008. And so uh, not knowing anything else about the work of, uh, the sort of digital work of uh, Jeremy Roberts in comics, if this is four years earlier, yeah, maybe, maybe someone was, Building a model or using a model.
0: I don't know if you're about to say this, but the, the the most striking thing about these covers really is that covers are typically and particularly, you know, for something like Snake Eyes, he's a ninja. You know, are going to be quite you know either it's going to be a character sort of in a hero pose or uh, an action pose or something quite exciting. These are sort of very sort of quiet and, and contemplative covers.
1: Yeah, and. Um there's a lot that doesn't work for me in this mini series but I do think artistically editorially the approach for the covers is great. You know, there's another small decision that's happening on the covers where the logo, the actual letter forms for the words Snake Eyes Declassified. These are both a stencil font. And the declassified one is that standard military stencil font. Uh, Maybe both of them are. You know, compare this to the logo for Master and Apprentice or Master and Apprentice 2, which is very Japanese. And considering that half of this declassified story takes place in Japan with ninja stuff, uh, one might expect uh, not the sort of army, you know, painted stencil on metal lettering treatment uh it's it's not good or bad it, I, I do like the uh title logo uh what i'm saying is um whether intentional or not it uh sort of leans the the miniseries in one direction or the mm-hmm. other
0: the 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 classified sort of stencil component is is actually consistent between the various declassified series so, that same treatment is used on the Scarlet Declassified and uh, G.I. Joe Declassified. That's the, the word Declassified.
1: And also Dreadnoughts?
0: And, de- and Red Dreadnoughts. That's the, okay. the Declassified in that red kind of uh,
1: box. All right. So, um, so where do we, where do we start?
0: Um, so, normally uh, we would, I think, go into a plot breakdown. Um, I've not. Bothered to write one, <laughs> but I think I can summarize it in, in a few short sentences that, um, essentially what we're seeing here is a Snake Eyes origin story divided up, uh, thematically into three parts. Uh, issue two is a sort of road trip, uh, with Snake Eyes and Cobra Commander, uh, not that he is Cobra Commander at that point,
1: and and um, we don't, and it's not confirmed to us. It is suggested, or we're supposed to uh, assume.
0: He- well, heavily inferred if we if we already know the Snake Eyes origin story, and uh, sort of following a slightly sort of vigilante uh, road trip um, uh, across uh, <laughs> states, resulting and and sort of concluding on their their sort of friendship uh, fracturing issues three, four, and five is the expanded ninja story uh, of, of Snake Eyes you know, moving into the Arishikage home, you know, home training with uh, alongside Snake Eyes and the various masters, uh, and that's all falling apart at the end with the assassination of the hired master. And then the final issue is essentially uh, the G.I. Joe story of Snake Eyes, where he is recruited goes on that fateful mission where the helicopter crash uh, occurs and he's sort of transformed into snake eyes as we know him um but in parallel there's also uh, an origin story for cobra happening in the background um shall we should we kind of tackle each kind of one of those three story arcs in, sure. in, in turn is that one way of doing yeah. it
1: yeah and and we can uh Probably, if you're listening to this episode, everyone, you have listened to the previous episode where we talked about issue one. But it might be worth just spending a half a sentence to remind you that issue one was about Snake Eyes in Vietnam
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, with the with the Lerp group, with the long range reconnaissance patrol
0: uh, group. Now, issue two is the is the I think the most
1: fascinating
0: of the six issues to me because every other issue pretty much you know it it expands an existing known key you know pivotal touchstone point of the snake eyes origin story which has been um spread you know seeded across uh larry hammer's era run whereas issue two is essentially uh all new and just playing into this this uh, idea that Cobra Commander reaches out to Snake Eyes following the death of his brother, who is who was the drunk driver who killed Snake Eyes' family, and that they have this uh, this time together uh, where they sort of, sort of seek, I guess, slightly vigilante kind of directionless justice, uh, which concludes with them confronting. Uh, the judge who uh who sort of uh cobra commander puts the blame on for his brother's life going awry it's yeah it's it's unique in in that it's so different to the kind of the established snake eyes origins that we we know of that in terms of the other the other issues are very familiar this is very different and is is all new effectively
1: yeah, um, can you parse that? Because earlier you said essentially all new, and just now you said effectively all new. Is it one hundred percent all new, or is it ninety eight percent? If it's not all new, is it like one panel? Is it one bit of dialogue? It's all it's all new, apart
0: from leaning into some of the, those those components that we know about uh, Snake Eye uh, Cobra Commander you know attaching this weight to to his brother's death um and and the blame on that so that's that's this kind of the seed that i see right. this being built around
1: in terms of in terms of um setting action dialogue issue 2 is 100% new mm-hmm. and uh santa lucia's art uh he he pencils the other 5 issues and about half half of this issue and this is the issue where uh robert atkins is this atkins first professional gi joe work uh i believe
0: that's the case yeah his first work on gi joe okay robert atkins new editor michael o'sullivan from savannah college uh, and michael offered robert his first solo job which was how he ended up as penciler on snake eyes declassified and then it all went from there
1: um if, if you give me a moment, I can, I can guess sort of who's drawing which pages. But the good news is that the two of them are a, a good match for each other, whether that's an editor picking Atkins because he already draws like Santa Lucia, or whether he's trying to draw like the guy who's doing the rest of this miniseries. Uh, I, I, I go back to my, my initial uh, response to this miniseries, which is, I'll try not to say this every other sentence, you know, I really want Larry Hama to be the one writing this. And uh if someone is going to just retell what we already know or retell what we already know in chronological order and add forty percent new material so that, I don't know, three issues worth becomes six issues worth, I also want that to be uh Larry Hama. Um I think in terms of giving this version of Snake Eyes and this version of Cover commander, some uh, weight and motivation. I think this sort of vigilante stuff that's happening, sort of across the heartland of America, is a good motivator. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like GI Joe to me. It doesn't feel like a GI Joe flashback. Snake Eyes is narrating it in his diary or his journal um, for three pages, and. Um, You know, it's like this. the conceit is that Snake Eyes is going to talk in this story because he can. So it's like, okay, well, I sort of already lost that argument. You know, I don't think the character should talk even when he can because it's that's sort of what we know of this character in in our reality. He doesn't speak. And, you know, in modern day, when he has an adventure, he could write things down. He could use sign language, but he tends not to or he doesn't at all. It's not that he can't talk is that he can't and he doesn't. Um, So now he can and he does. And he does a lot. And, you know, if he's also sort of not the person we know yet, then maybe he's going to talk a lot more or a lot differently. And it just sort of breaks up for me because I think it turns out I don't want to read a lot about pre-Snake Eyes. That just the flashbacks we got were enough. And also, it feels... Um, it feels too much like, what's, it feels too, um, vanish. It's, that's, that's not the word. Um, I think it might be worthwhile to see Snake Eyes have some ups and downs before he joins the Joes. I think it might be interesting to have Cobra Commander have some ups and downs before he forms Cobra. But, wait, they teamed up? And also, wait, Cobra Commander followed Snake Eyes? So, Mark, is this where you tell me that Cobra Commander would be following Snake Eyes because he's he's blaming Snake Eyes's family for the car accident?
0: Yeah. So I guess in the Larry Hannah Hammer canon, uh, he 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 somehow <laughs> uh, sort of twists his logic to put the blame of his uh, brother's death on Snake Eyes because his family was driving to get him from the airport at the time of the crash yeah and yeah that that obviously you know doesn't make logical sense but but in, in the from that sort of distorted pr- perspective it it does and and um and at this point in time in this story he's not necessarily attaching all of that blame to snake eyes but more to the uh to the judge who who sentenced him and put him down uh the wrong track as he saw it and that led to his drinking and and the eventual car crash um so so that's yeah so so i guess that once the judge has died and uh snake eyes has sort of spurned him then then now he's sort of you know refocused that negativity back towards snake eyes
1: the connections the character connections in the Hama gi joe how Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, Zartan, Firefly, Cobra Commander, Baroness, and some siblings. How they all connect. Getting it over 12 years was, and also never knowing when we were going to get a little more, was fun and believable, dare I say. And maybe... Maybe it was, you know, just shy of being unbelievable. And if you add one more thing, like, oh, yeah, there were the three weeks that Cobra Commander, pre Cobra Commander and pre Snake Eyes, um, beat up bad guys and, you know, gave money, robbed from the rich and gave to the poor in the heartland of America. This might be totally unfair to Brandon Gerwa, because maybe if Hama had done it, I would say, no, that's totally believable. I love it. It's great. More <laughs> and more. But uh, you know, maybe sort of the more you look at it, the less it sort of stands up. And if you look at it carefully across six issues and you add a bunch more, maybe it doesn't, it really doesn't um, stand up. So uh, I, because um, it's always been convenient, like a soap opera, that Joe and Cobra and the Ninja have all these connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think back to, well, I'll refer to issue 126 a little later. But I think the actual plotting in this epi- issue is good. That someone finds Snake Eyes at his lowest and sort of saves him. And then he Snake Eyes rejects that person. But that as Cobra Commander doesn't work for me. And then there are just a lot of details. There's, there's too much exposition. I feel like every issue in this, someone is explaining what happened in the previous issue or halfway earlier in this issue and the the dialogue is too on the nose you know like uh on but this is issue two so we're on page one two three four tommy's walking away and he says there's a there's a wordless panel a silent panel and then he says i see i can't make you come back to japan with me and then deep breath I'm really sorry that you lost your parents and your sister in that wreck, but it's been six months now. If you ever wake up from this bad dream you've created for yourself, all you have to do is say the word and I'll be there. That's what friends do, and maybe someday he'll remember that. The meaning of that exposition is good. And maybe you'd actually say to your friend, your sort of, you know, combat brother, I'm so sorry about your family. But he mentions the parents and the sister and the car accident. And, you know, in the story that happened six pages ago just at the end of the previous uh issue and yes you know people read this as a six issue miniseries over six months um but i feel like this kind of thing keeps happening Mm
0: -hmm. do you know what (laughs) do you know what bugged me the most about that sequence
1: um how the bartender hands them the glasses on page (laughs) two because i have i have a note uh i have a note um Page two, panel four. That's not how bartenders present drinks to patrons.
0: Yep, <laughs> and that isn't that isn't what a pint glass looks like. A pint glass does not look like a transparent, oversized uh, torch
1: Flash, flashlight. Our American yeah, friends, flashlight. Yes, yeah. torch flashlight. <laughs> you know, there's there's good body language on pages two and three between the bartender, Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow. I do, I do think it, I do think it's earned that Snake Eyes has a beard and mustache. But I just want to go back to this refrain of mine, which is, you know, if you if you put a Caucasian woman, uh, a beautiful Caucasian woman with long straight black hair in a GI Joe scene, <laughs> and you give her circular glasses, I'm going to think it's Baroness. If you put a you know in shape Caucasian man who's blonde in a GI Joe scene, and he has a blonde beard and mustache, I think he's rock and roll. And yes, nothing about the story points that this could possibly be rock and roll. And rock and roll does show up for a panel or two later. Um, this is definitely Snake Eyes having grown facial hair. But eh.
0: <laughs> my, my thought that I had about this, which is it's a bit of a tangent, was that when um, uh, I was watching Stranger Things, you're a Stranger Things fan, Tim?
1: I've seen uh, the first season or two.
0: There, there was an early episode, I think in the second season of which I, th- I think from a quick Google was probably uh, episode seven of second season. There was this sort of side story for 11 where she goes off on this.
1: Oh, she goes you know, to like Chicago. Engine.
0: Yeah. She goes to another city. She meets a gang of kids and it, they go yeah, on this it, crazy it, it, adventure. And then by the end of the episode, she's come back home and sort of status quo is, is pretty much returned. And, and it just feels so out of kilter with the rest of it and it's like you could snip that episode and everything else would still make sense
1: or that episode needed to be like a three episode arc
0: mm mm-hmm. and it felt a bit like this for for me for this for this episode like this this is interesting but it just feels so different and so not of a part of the rest that it just creates a bit of a hurdle for me to to really invest in it and uh i found it a bit a a strange a strange issue
1: um i wonder (laughs) if um maybe maybe uh talking joe fans and listeners can chime in i feel like to some degree the uh intended or ideal audience for this miniseries is someone who hadn't read the marvel Hmm. issues or had only read a few of them and for those people i imagine these six issues are More satisfying. Issue two doesn't feel like the stranger's thing side mission. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe if you, maybe if you, if fans, if you, if you are that person, let us know how it worked for you in 2005. Or if you're reading along now and we're not making you too grumpy about it, let us know. Uh,
0: Actually, I read recently this book, Larry Hammer Conversations, edited by Christopher Irving. And in the introduction to that book, Um, Christopher writes, By the end of the series' original run, Snake Eyes has proven instrumental in the origins of Firefly, Zartan, Baroness, Cobra Commander, and by association, all of Cobra and G.I. Joe, Storm Shadow and Scarlet. From a plot's perspective, it defies believability. But dispersed issues at a time, and through characters and personalities established over that run, it somehow seems less fantastical. And unbelievable. If they were all sort of one on top of another, it would probably break the story. But because they're seeded out so periodically across the story, um, it's somehow the rest of the uh, the rest of the narrative across the the whole of the the issues and everything else that's happening carries that weight of the unbelievability. So so it sort of makes sense, and and you kind of go with it when it's. Uh, across 155 issues but when it's all together in one place across six with some additional elements included maybe maybe the sort of uh some of those uh coincidences around the story sort of just it creaks a little bit more
1: yeah in the previous episode we referred to hama's gracious introduction to the collection of this mini-series where he says um uh, uh, I didn't write it, but it it's good, and the characters sound right. And as a counterpoint, uh, I want to bring up something. Hama did an interview with the website manwithoutfear.com, which is this amazing Daredevil fan website with dozens of interviews. Because Larry Hama worked on, I think it's three issues of Daredevil. And uh, it's not a long interview. And at the end, Kuljit Mithra, who conducts the interview, and I think it's his website, says, this this is 2001. He says, um, do you know if any comic companies are looking into developing G.I. Joe again? And also, would you be interested in writing it? And Hama says, it pops up occasionally. Everybody thinks they can do it better than me. Good luck to them. And his uh, short and to the point answers in interviews I think sometimes come across as him being rude or a jerk. And I think he's just being really efficient because he's got to do a bunch of interviews and it's easier to give short answers than long answers. And as I read this miniseries, several times I thought, this isn't bad dialogue. This dialogue to me doesn't feel like G.I. Joe. And in some cases I thought, this dialogue wouldn't be here if it were my G.I. Joe, that uh, this scene wouldn't be explained or this scene uh, wouldn't be described or this scene would just play out um, uh, visually or like my point I made a few minutes ago, someone's describing something that I have just read 20 pages ago and I don't want them to recap it. I I showed Hama an issue from... Uh, sort of the end of the Chuck Dixon run of of GI Joe at IDW, and when he was no longer writing that continuity, but he was uh, writing a real American hero, because I like the art, and he 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 said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, uh, you know, I don't really want to look at this because it's it's sort of not my GI Joe, and I have thought of other times when a writer has. Uh, like in the in the early and middle two thousands, the writer Stephen Grant wrote a column at comicbookresources.com. dot com, and uh, I think it was called Master of the Obvious. And sometimes he would review comics that his local store gave him or that someone mailed him. And someone mailed him the first Garth Ennis Punisher miniseries not just an issue, but the whole book with the 12 issues, right? Welcome back, Frank, because Stephen Grant wrote the first Punisher miniseries in 85. And online in a column, Grant said, hey, whoever sent me the Punisher book, uh, thanks, but I, I don't read uh, characters that I've worked on after I work on them. Huh. And I think the the fans in the crowd might think, oh no, Stephen Grant, don't you love the Punisher? And maybe the answer is, uh, well, I'm a professional and I will write Punisher if I'm paid to write Punisher. But I'm a professional and I need to make money, so I'm looking for jobs that pay. Uh and, you know, as a hobby, I'm probably gonna read novels or read history or watch the news or, you know, whatever, go hiking or something. And I think about this not just sort of Hama, G.I. Joe, other people writing Hama, uh writing G.I. Joe phenomenon, but other writers who have strong affiliations with certain comics characters or titles, and then other people writing them after. And it's taken me a long time to be able to sort of, if I'm reading a G.I. Joe story, be able to detect if it feels like Hama or not. And I don't know that I can always put it into words. Uh, but reading this mini-series, I thought, eh, this, doesn't, this doesn't feel like Hama.
0: Uh, So, Tim, what about if we take a trip across to Japan, where in issues three, four and five, we are seeing that Arashikage story that uh, we know so well from the flashbacks that were seeded in the main run. How do you think that all comes together?
1: Um, you, You start. I just talked for a while.
0: So, I mean, I love the original story and i think a good job is done of uh knitting it together because because you do have like the the origin you do have the zartan story and then later on you also have the faceless master story from uh firefly and i think it is brought together quite neat, neatly it, it does sort of feel like a one sort of seamless story and very in keeping with the original uh, original story uh maybe a little bit more tension between snake eyes and storm shadow than maybe i would have guessed myself or sort of felt myself but um, uh, that that's that's okay i think it's sort of then it, there's expanded a little bit more there's the interaction of this jealous master i think it's called kano and that that feels in keeping with the rest of the themes and the story it's not not jarring and it also i think goes some way to explaining that there's a, a Rashikage kind of offshoot which which gives us some of those red ninjas uh, later on who who didn't um you know he didn't appreciate snake eyes taking such an active role in in their clan so so generally i think it works well in in telling a joined up story uh, for the most part. So um, it maybe isn't as satisfying to someone who who maybe knows that story already, but as something that you could give to somebody to give them a, a very concise three issue arc explaining that that story, it's probably a neat way of doing it.
1: I I would rather give them twenty six and twenty seven <laughs> from from the Marvel run. You know, J- Jir was doing something thankless here, and he does it well. I can appreciate the the construction. It's sort of um, you know I don't like the architecture, but the contractor who built the building you know did a good job. The building stands up; it's not going to fall over. Uh, but I don't like how the building looks, you know, the colors and materials, the styling. And I I don't like what the building's being used for, you know, like, oh, that company's moving in. I'm not going to go to that building. There's my analogy. (laughs) Um, The series takes a little bit of a turn artistically with issue four, because uh, the second half of it is colored by Jason Jensen. So issues Mm -hmm. four and five and six, um, the coloring gets busier and I don't like it. Every panel has lots and lots of white highlights and it's uh, um, you know i compare it to the work that uh, john Roche is doing in the first three issues and i don't love that coloring but it's you know fine uh, and the second half of the series things get too busy uh, and it sort of doesn't matter what the scene is you know inside outside daytime nighttime fight you know, I haven't, I haven't read, I haven't reread issue 84 in at least 10 years. And reading this miniseries just made me, made me want to go read issue 84. And, uh, and, you know, 144 and and 126. And I remember 126 when it came out, um, surprised me. And it was also a little silly, because that's, <laughs> that's that two issues where the ninjas are making a scorpion, you know, like yeah. a like cheerleaders making a pyramid and i i guess that's Hama both having fun and also being very serious. like no ninja can do all these amazing things, but also, you know, writing this this ongoing action drama, you know, fight soap opera chess pieces thing. but i i sometimes think of is it in the letters page to 126, or is it in the letters page uh, two or three months later when people are writing in about 26 and Hama's definitely answering the letters that month because he refers to himself in the first person? I don't I don't know if he signs off at the end as, you know, dash Larry, um, but he's talking about the blurred photograph and who who that other person was this whole time, right? It was Firefly, and he and he says something like, "I've been saving that one for years." I think years is even italicized. And yeah. when that was published, I thought, "Oh man, how great!" But also, I thought, "Wait, Firefly is Firefly's a ninja too? There's awful <laughs> a lot of ninjas here." And so, even at the time, I thought, "Okay, eighty percent, I love it. Twenty percent, hmm." But you know, why not? I think I think the point you made earlier uh, is a good one about sort of if if the stuff is doled out over time you accept it and if it all all happens at once it might uh, crack or fall apart.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: And and once again I'm aware uh, I made this point with issue one that um, in in these middle issues uh, four five six there are a bunch of panels that are redrawn compositions from some Marvel issues. And yep. that is both fun, but also, you know, maybe in, in comparison, the the new stuff doesn't look as good. And then also something that I, I, I think I, I didn't bring up in the previous episode, the, um the final credit on all six of these issues says based on and inspired by the works of Larry Hama. And yes, he did write all of the stories and yes, he did draw 26, but this does pull from other, issues that other people drew. And I think it would be proper to, if you're going to give Hama some credit, give them some credit too. you know, William Rosado, Andrew Wildman. Some, is it anything from 27, right? Is it is 27 Frank Springer?
0: I think that's right. I think that was, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and then just another little point I wanted to make in terms of sort of, you know, the comparison maybe isn't um, flattering. The The fight at the end of issue three Uh, the backgrounds mostly drop out and uh, it's fine. It's not a bad fight, but it's not an awesome fight. Like, here are the ingredients for the awesomest G.I. Joe fight. Okay. Flashback, Ninja, the other Ninja, at the Ninja Clan, and also Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow were there. And, uh, you know, it's sort of ho-hum.
0: Yeah. Uh, Shall we... Take our plane back from Japan over to the states to issue six, where we see a bit of the early days of uh, GI Joe.
1: Yeah, you you go first.
0: Uh, so actually, actually, it's it's the sort of back end of uh, issue five. Uh, it's from the Snake Eyes origin of twenty seven, where Hawk and, and Stalker come and uh, recruits. Uh, snake eyes into the team and then in issue six it's kind of the early days of uh, the gi joe team and it's the 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 apart from some color added from by uh, i think some of some of the cobra origins aspects it's a pretty much straight retelling of of uh, ex- pre-existing knowledge from the origin previous origin stories where snake eyes is training with the the team getting to know uh, Scarlet, and uh, then they go on that ill-fated mission where the uh, the helicopters crash Snake Eyes has his face burnt and uh, writes CM in the sand Charlie Mike to continue that uh, rescue of uh, George Straw Hacker fairly fairly straight retelling uh, with a couple of sort of corrective elements, I think, um, in the original issue, which... Uh, is that 144
1: 144? with the Vipers?
0: 144, yeah. It had the Vipers in there, which sort of wasn't keep- keeping with uh, the sort of the chronology of when there was Vipers first appear- started appearing. So they've swapped those out for Coper Troopers.
1: Can I uh, clarify this? Can I dig into this? Go on. When 144 was released, uh, it's an expansion of... Of Snake Eyes flashbacks from Mm -hmm. 26 and 27. And Snake Eyes and Stalker and a couple others uh, rescue this hostage who's an important person. And in this scene, which William Rosado draws in 1993, there are uh, vipers, 1986 vipers, Mm -hmm. and televipers. And as Mark just alluded to, vipers wouldn't have existed then. It would have been regular cobra soldiers cobra officers in blue and in redrawing the scene here in snake eyes declassified six uh, santa lucia draws a cobra soldier in blue uh, cobra cobra soldiers in blue acting out these these things and getting shot and blown up uh instead of vipers and so what has happened here <laughs> is devil's do has retconned a retcon because <laughs> yeah. every single story Right, Hama has said this at conventions and in interviews, and I think it's a little confusing. He says, well, it's all a retcon, right? And what he's saying is, since I make it up as I go, anytime I want to throw in something from, quote, before, I'm just making it fit, but I didn't have that in mind back then, and now I'm revealing it. I'm making it up now, and I'm making it up so that it fits back then. So when we find out who Snake Eyes was rescuing in that hostage mission after the helicopter crash in a later issue, which is an expansion of the helicopter crash in an earlier issue, uh, when Hama is retconning it, so there's more story there, right? Whether he writes it in the script or Rosado draws it wrong on his own, the editor doesn't catch it, it's the wrong kind of Cobra Soldier. So uh I love this that <laughs> it's a cobra It's a cover. I think I've mentioned this twice to to our our occasional co-host jay cordray in various episodes of talking joe like oh the viper is showing up in 144 it wouldn't be vipers uh and it's funny actually
0: i'm just i'm just looking back to 144 and there's that panel in uh, in the declassified issue where snake eyes is throwing the knife and throwing star simultaneously to to take down the um, vipers slash (laughs) cobra troopers and that panel where he's throwing them, it's it's pretty much a direct swipe um, from the original, but uh, the, the, there's there's another almost direct swipe of the trooper going to the door, saying, "Do you, do you hear something out there? I'll check." He's going to open up the door, and uh, in the original, it's a viper, and in this one, it's it's a cobra trooper. So it's it's funny that it's almost a direct swipe, but uh, they've they've literally sort of redrawn the, the character.
1: Um, this is a, you know, for my, I, I do like modern computer coloring when it's done uh, a certain way. It's fun to compare these two pages where uh, in 2005, you know, the art and color together are more modern and a little flashier mm-hmm. and, uh, and the paper is different and uh, I'm sort of, I'm almost always ready to take older paper with older color over newer paper and newer color uh, but if, if you, if you, listeners, if you have, if you have 144 and declassified uh, six in front of you, you can make this comparison too.
0: Just laughing because in 144, they, there's these vipers, they're playing, they're playing a game of poker or something as Snake Eyes comes and rudely interrupts. And two of the vipers have got like uh, aces sort of hidden about their person. So they're all sort of clearly cheating at their card game. It's, uh, I've, I've never noticed that before. It's a great little detail. And and then yeah, as uh, as this mission uh, wraps up, uh, Snake Eyes is in hospital uh, being looked after by Doc, which is is a sort of a continuation of the of the previous retcon because in issue one forty four he's sort of shown to be part of the uh, the GI Joe support staff um, at that point in time, so uh, it's a consistent uh, use of, of Doc sort of in from the early days of GI Joe.
1: Right, and to to put this fine point on it, right, the story that takes place before, quote, 1982, Doc hadn't joined the team yet because Doc is a, what, 83 or 84 figure? Yeah, Um, one one year after, yeah. And in this flashback, there he is. Um, So um, I was struck at the beginning of issue six. uh, On page two, the brass come downstairs... And are introduced to the original Joes, mm-hmm. and Snake Eyes is not in black. Yeah, he's in green. He's in, uh, and so, uh, Jerwa is adding this element to the story, which I think is okay. Where after Snake Eyes is injured, uh, then a box gets shipped to the hospital just before the mission where the helicopters are going to crash and Scarlet says, Hey, special delivery from the pit. Hawk said you wanted this, right? And, and it is in the three final pages of this whole miniseries where Snake Eyes is in black for the first time in his, in his GI Joe uniform, not in any kind of uh, ninja costume in Japan as a student. So the actual, so the, this final, this, this final scene, these three pages, right? Where Snake Eyes is looking out the window. He's got bandages on his head. He's, he's in the, I think he is in the hospital. Uh, maybe he's in a, like a rehab center. That's not quite the hospital.
0: But. Yeah. It's uh, on the first page of that sequence. It's the U.S. Advanced Surgical Recovery Facility okay. Thank Burn you. Unit Recovery.
1: Okay. So uh, Scarlet and Socker, uh visit him and I'm a little, I'm a little, I don't know how I feel about this. Uh, Mark, tell me how I feel about this. The final two (laughs) pages, the, 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 the note that this miniseries ends on is CM, Charlie Mike, that uh, he puts on the costume. And Scarlet says, also, if you stay, I promise you'll never be alone again. And Snake Eyes picks up a pad and a pen, and he writes something on it, and he hands it to her, and Stalker says, what does it say? And she says, it says Charlie Mike. And you turn the page, and it's a splash of Snake Eyes standing there with his mask for the first time. Snake Eyes version one mask and his black tunic, and his fists are clenched, and and an off-panel word balloon has... Scarlet finishing the line, continue the mission, and then it says on the bottom, the beginning, and I think that's a good ending. And goodness knows, ending a ending any story is hard. Ending a six issue miniseries is hard. Ending a six issue miniseries that's inventing new stuff and piecing together old stuff is hard. Um, I think it's a good ending. I also wish it was a little different because Charlie Mike is a note that this story has already had or, or a beat that this story has already had. And yeah. the fact that Snake Eyes doesn't say anything here, that's good. The fact that the uh, the idea of it is that he's joining the team, they're going to keep doing it, he's a Joe, uh, the story's really just beginning, those are all great. But the actual sort of two words, the military code, Charlie Mike, it, it reminds me of this comment that I've made where many things are repeated in this mini-series. And let me go back to issue five, which is uh, down here. So uh, halfway through issue five, we're out of Japan and we're up on the mountain and Snake Eyes is behind, by himself building his cabin and cutting wood, chopping wood and he's got a wolf. And you turn the page and... Two, two army guys pull up in a Jeep, and two locals are pointing them in the right direction. And the mailman says, oh, they say he's some kind of werewolf, right? And then you turn the page, and uh, where did it go? Someone says werewolf again. Snake Eyes says to them, did I make this up?
0: <laughs> he says uh he says they say he's some kind of werewolf uh, then he says werewolf uh tail barks at the moon even got some good sort of mark on his wrist okay and they yeah. say what do you make of that werewolf talk
1: talk yeah maybe that's T- it uh, i mean
0: you going for snake eyes just a wolf
1: it, sorry i'm misremembering it so I, in in my mind where i'm just ready to shake my fist at brandon Drewa's script snake eyes says something like it's not like i'm a werewolf guys and then they all chuckle and they're like, oh, you're not a werewolf. And that word keeps getting used, keeps getting used. It's not what happens. I'm sorry, Brandon, or what? Um, but I do feel like just, you know, wolf and werewolf gets used four times in three pages. You know, what do you make of all this werewolf talk? Um, yeah, that, you know, you might say a word several times, but um, I really want the dialogue honed in.
0: And the other thing about this issue six is this this sort of par- in parallel to the early days of G.I. Joe. Uh, it's the early days of Cobra being formed, and there's a, uh, there's a sort of bit of an Easter egg sequence there on, uh, is it
1: page three? Page five, panel two.
0: On page five, yeah, page five, panel two. Uh, there is a circular table with, uh, four gentlemen, uh, there who are the new supporters of the New World Order. Uh, with Cobra Commander there in just a blue suit. Do you recognize or can you work out who those four people at the table are?
1: So I I can do some of this. Uh, The first person looks like Dr. Mindbender because he has Dr. Mindbender's uh, mustache um, and he's bald. The second person is not only Dr. Venom, it's Emiliano Santa Lucia doing a very good impression of how Mike Vosberg drew Dr. Venom. Uh, the third person, uh, I can't tell who it is in the story, but I think this is a character actor. Is this Sydney Greenstreet? I don't know. Uh, for those of you, for those of you that don't know, uh, Sydney Greenstreet is an actor who's, who's best known, uh, as appearing in the Maltese Falcon, but, uh, he he was in many movies, and um, maybe it's not him, but I, looking at this face, this is some actor. This is some likeness, and the bow tie, something about this, I, I think, and, and there's a bowler hat. This is someone, and I don't know if Brandon jerwa is just letting it be a white man with a grudge who's going to give money to nascent Cobra Commander or if this is Brandon Gerwa thinking this is sort of a particular person in 1980, 1981 in the world of G.I. Joe, who we're never going to see again. Uh, and then the person on the right, uh, Mark, I don't think it's Tomax or Zamot, but I can't help but think it reminds me of them because it's a guy with brown hair with a part and he's wearing a jacket and tie. But for that matter, Cover Commander is wearing the same jacket and tie in this scene. So...
0: Maybe they're both makes the same one. Okay, you got one out of four there, Tim.
1: It wasn't mindbender.
0: It wasn't mind but it's a, it's a sort of a fair guess. So on the left, it is Vance Wigfield.
1: Oh, very good, very good.
0: So uh, he's the drill sergeant of Cobras, rank and file, who first appeared in GI Joe issue four as the main antagonist in there.
1: And of course, that story is called Operation Wingfield. Yeah, to
0: his right, uh, it's obviously Doctor Venom, Cobra's uh, mad scientist, uh, who first appeared in GI Joe issue ten. To uh, to his right is Derek Sutherland, Cobra's first weapons supplier, who appeared in GI Joe issue nine. And Mar- Marvel to-
1: issue Marvel issue nine.
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. And to his right is Brian Hassel, a State Department diplomat uh, with Cobra loyalties, who also appeared in GI Joe issue nine.
1: Huh. Well, that's fine. Those
0: uh, those, those uh, early characters that uh, didn't have um, didn't have toys that um, Larry Hammer and Co. were just making them up to fill out a cast of baddies.
1: Wait a second! Wait a second! Wait a second!
0: It might have been Stephen Grant writing. Yeah, yeah. Issue
1: yeah. nine is Stephen Grant.
0: As I said, it, I thought it's probably Stephen Grant writing that issue, isn't it? It's the Diplomat by Stephen Grant.
1: I just grabbed my. Uh... Oh yeah, okay. There's there's the guy with the bowler hat. All right, very good, very good. Um. Oh yeah, that's a good scene. Yeah. I just grabbed my uh, my. It's not classic Volume One. It's just Gejo Volume One because I have the Marvel printing. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I'll say something grumpy. Um, The thing that I was most interested in reading in issue five was the four-page preview for (laughs) Sigma Six comic book at the end of this issue. And uh, I was delighted by some of the ads for other things that Devils Do was publishing. And there were some uh, new figures uh, that were available online at HasbroToyShop.com. There were some ads for the next uh transformers crossover there were some uh yeah many months ago and several weeks ago when i knew that this miniseries was coming up i thought oh i don't want to read this because i don't want something that Gerwa has invented has added to the canon to get stuck in my head and i will mix it in and then on an episode of Talking Joe, or just by myself as a G.I. Joe fan, I will think back to the overall Larry Hama G.I. Joe story and recall something that wasn't Hama. It was and But also, that's not such a big deal, right? It's all stories, and just because one story happens doesn't mean another story didn't happen, right? If if a sequel or a prequel happens, it doesn't uh, ruin what's already been Released on DVD or uh, published, but I do want to bring up this overall topic, which we talked about when we looked at Silent Prelude, uh, which was the uh, the five page story that Hama and Ron Wagner created for the collection of this Snake Eyes Declassified miniseries, and that is this idea of just because you can, should you, right and Does every moment of story uh, need to be told? And I'm going to, as a parallel, bring up two quick Star Wars examples, right? Because Star Wars is so rife for this kind of thing. Because in the way that Snake Eyes Declassified um, fills in some gaps, so many Star Wars stories over the years have filled in gaps for other ones, right? Comic books, uh, movies, streaming series. So... um, when the Star Wars special edition was released to theaters in 97, the exciting part of it was that we got to see Star Wars again in a movie theater and that the picture and sound had been cleaned up, right? There were, and then this then this one you can take or leave, there were new visual effects, right? I think erasing or minimizing matte lines so that when you shoot two models separately and you composite them together, on film and it kind of looks like you shot two things separately because even though the scales make sense one of them is sort of like grayed out or it's got this thick line around it I, I i'm okay with that the big thing about that first movie the special edition was i'm skipping whether or not greedo shoots first because i actually want to get to the scene after that right greedo says han solo you own job without some money And Han Solo says, I'm figuring it out. And then someone shoots someone and Han leaves. And then he walks outside and there's this new scene, which was cut from the original release, where uh, actor Harrison Ford talks to a stand-in and with 1990s visual effects, they added in Jabba the Hutt. And so right after Han Solo says to Greedo at gunpoint, I'll figure it out, he goes outside and Jabba says, hey, it's me, you owe me money. And Han Solo says, yeah, I'm figuring it out. And the reason why that scene was cut for 1977 is because it doesn't add anything. It is the same beat. It is the same note. Hey, you owe that guy some money. I know. Hey, you owe me some money. I know. And so in terms of pacing and narrative, that scene is bad. Whether or not you agree with how Jabba looks and Harrison Ford stepping over the tail or, you know, whatever, right? Um, It was fun to see it. That really should have been some kind of DVD extra, not in the movie. Okay, and then example number two. Way back when, in uh, 2002, Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, was released to theaters. It's very exciting. Not my favorite movie at all. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, is played by Ewan McGregor, is investigating uh, this mystery because they're all of a sudden these clones. And no one talks about whether that's good or bad, which is weird, but let's skip that for a minute. <laughs> and it turns out he finds that some Jedi some years ago, put in an order for millions of clones. And it's it was really weird to me then, and it has always been really weird to me, that they don't really talk about this in that movie. It's like, who was this? Is this someone from episode one? Is this a name that I've heard? Is this like someone that we didn't trust? Is this someone who turned bad? Is this someone we kicked out? They don't really talk about it. And then you see episode three and- you know, between the end of episode two and the beginning of episode three, that guy does show up. It's Count Dooku and he's playing both sides. And it's sort of explained not satisfyingly. And I was sort of wondered like, oh, okay. Cause so Obi-Wan Kenobi in episode two goes to the Jedi library and he's like, wait, someone deleted the file where like someone went to this planet and put in an order for millions of clones. Ha! Huh. Okay. So fast forward, listeners, to uh, early 2023, and I'm watching Tales of the Jedi on Disney+, and one of the episodes is about Count Dooku, sometime between episode one and two, literally going to the Jedi library, he like looks over his shoulder left and right, and he pushes a button, and this little like hologram of of is it Camino shows up and he's like, computer, delete all records of Camino." Hoo, hoo, hoo. I'm going to put in an order from Rins of Clones. And on the one hand, I thought, okay, good. They're finally showing it to us. On the other hand, I thought, man, I don't need to see this because it was sort of explained not well. And we did a lot of inferencing and there have been dozens and dozens of hours of story Told since then about the result of this. Lots of Jedi and Separatists and clones and battle droids smashing against each other. And then because it's Star Wars and it has to be really on the nose, I believe if I'm remembering this tales of the Jedi episode uh, accurately, I believe this happens like seconds before Count Dooku walks outside and bumps into someone, and they talk about Qui Gon Jinn's funeral. It's like, remember the thing that happened at the end of Episode One? Like, okay, well now I know exactly when this. Uh, scene takes place. Okay, so how does this relate <laughs> to GI? How does this relate to GI Joe? We we we've sort of said this over and over between the uh Silent Prelude episode, the Snake Eyes declassified issue 1 episode, and this episode. Not every element of story is worth telling. And not every scene, not every sort of moment in your life is um <sighs> the point I want to make is X Men comics, GI Joe comics, Star Wars programming. Uh, in the last 20 years, we've gotten, as fans, really lucky that many, many, many additional stories and wrinkles and details of stories have gotten retold and expanded upon. And I've started to find that the majority of the time, I don't need it. You know, like, like, I'm not going to get into the Obi Wan Kenobi streaming series, but that is, a, that is a much larger example of: Do you really like this story? That's adding something that we didn't know was there, or do you not? Do you like that they tried it, but it didn't work for you? Do you like that they tried it and it did work for you? Do you like that they tried it and it sort of worked for you, right? Uh, and that's a much bigger like chunk than sort of one scene in a Tales of the Jedi short. Um, and so, I'm for the purposes of talking Joe, I'm glad to have read Snake Eyes Declassified. Uh, and I like that Mark is here to fact check me and quiz me and uh, bounce ideas off of. But, you know, if IDW was going to get around to reprinting more of the Devil's Do stuff, I'm fine they didn't get to this. And if the next publisher has a plan to republish all of the stuff that's come before it marvel and devils do and idw i'm not i'm not pushing for this to get reprinted fast
0: Mm. and in in, normally at the end of the episode we would sort of give a yojo cola marking i don't really want to give a mark for this one because it's it's too many it's too many things like what hat are you trying would you want to put on to actually give give the mark for? So in terms of the covers, they're great in terms of the art it's it's fine. it's uh, it does a quite solid job. it sort of you know takes the best of the original stories and sort of you know takes consistent style across the piece. Yeah, the mod, some of the modern coloring is a little bit you know jarring but but hey ho. In terms of the the writing, Brandon Gerwood does a pretty good job at bringing it all together. Looking at it stand alone, the bits that he adds are are fine, and I his, his think his dialogue generally is good. But as a GI Joe book and as a Snake Eyes book, is it is it too much in terms of narration and and dialogue? So so in terms of the overall package, I think it's it's fine. In terms of does it add anything? to me as a fan who who sort of loves most of the original material already it it doesn't add an awful lot if you were coming into it fresh not knowing a huge amount of jojo and not wanting to wade through all of that uh, existing content or possibly not having access to all of that original content is it is it a reader friendly accessible way to get into that lore and understand some of that backstory between snake eyes and and storm shadow yeah probably I wouldn't uh, you know it's it's maybe not a bad uh it's not bad story to to take to understand that but as you say why not just take issue 26 and 27 uh, and read that as your starting point instead
1: also to sort of parallel your point before about if you read it all at once it might sort of look silly part of what makes the ninja stuff, so powerful is that it's half or a quarter of the overall story. There's also all the military stuff and then the sort of fantastical stuff like, you know, Eco Warriors. And um part of why not just sort of like, no, the original's better. Not just that, but if you read 26, 27, uh 144, 126, you're getting this other stuff too. You're getting people in tanks and a a castle in Scotland and, you know, this underground base. And as I read this Snake Eyes Declassified miniseries and I get to the final pages, the early pages of issue six, where I see the pit and the original 13, I think, oh yeah, that's what I was missing. And then I turn the page and there's this sort of blue scene, you know, because early Cobra is so blue underground. And it's sort of like, Oh, I love hot dogs. I love hot dogs. I love hot dogs. And for Snake Eyes Declassified, I've been eating hot dogs, but only with mustard. And then in the final <laughs> issue, I also get ketchup. It's like, Oh, that's what I wanted. I wanted hot dogs with mustard and ketchup. And yes, it's not, it's not false advertising. The miniseries is called Snake Eyes Declassified. And, you know, it's the most popular character, and you can exploit that and sell more of that. And this was not instead of regular issues of G.I. Joe. Um, So it's not at all unfair, but even in this story, I want, I want more of the other stuff. I'm a little distracted by uh, the Arashikage logo showing up on the arrow. Do you have have 26, 27 in front of you, Mark? The logos, the cover to issue five of snake eyes declassified. The arrow, the bloody arrow through the post Mm. has a little Ninja clan logo on it. And then in that issue or the next issue when Storm Shadow's practicing and he shoots an arrow through an arrow, it's got it. And I feel like and then the sword that Zartan makes has it, and Zartan's sword, the scene from issue 84, his sword looks a little uh sort of accent uh sort of accentuated, accessorized. And I feel like in just these two places, this new miniseries may be sort of adding this sort of layer, like, no, it's just an arrow. It doesn't have you know, like the George Washington twenty-five cent piece stamp on it. It doesn't have like a Cobra logo on it, it doesn't have the G.I. Joe Eagle. It doesn't have the Rashikage hexagram on it.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm looking I'm just having a flick through twenty-six. Um the Rashikage It's just just an arrow, right? Yeah, the Rashikage logo appears on their wrists, it appears on Snake Eyes's tunic and it appears on hard masters like what you call it like that that sort of thing that he hides behind it's like a screen yeah screen but yeah there's no no logo no there's no logo on the arrow and also there's a close-up of the arrow on the front cover to 26 as well do you
1: have do you have 84 near you is is the sword that zartan makes is it sort of uh for lack of a better word a regular sword because the one that he makes here has a little bit of a serrated edge at the bottom, which sort of reminds me of, was it, was it diamond direct or was it palisades? There was a company that licensed, I don't know when, if it was right around the first GI Joe live action movie or before that, but you could buy a snake eyes sword that had the Arashikage logo on it and it had a little stand and this was i don't know 2005 or 2010 and i i feel like the snake eyes declassified miniseries is getting just a little bit accessorized
0: yeah i'm looking at that uh 84 and the sequence of um zartan remembering that Onehashi you know where he's his his apprentice it only lasts one two three four and a half pages it's a it's a short sequence it lives on in my mind as being a lot lot bigger um but but yeah they're making the swords they don't really have much in the way of close-ups it's um uh, and they sort of show it side on so there's there's not a huge amount of detail so they they've got room to imagine you know
1: imagine it hmm does the sword have that little serrated detail at its? No, at its no, pace?
0: but it's sort of shown side on, so it's like. Oh uh, okay. Uh, doesn't you can't really see very much detailing there at all. Yeah, but just yeah, it's interesting. Just to, just sort of being prompted to look back on it and just see see how short that sequence is, and and so how much space there is to actually expand it into something a little bit. Uh,
1: you know what I wanna uh, I wanna. Uh, since I've been so hard on this miniseries and Androa, I want to sort of make a concession uh, statement here, which is that Mark, you and I have talked about how much we like GI Joe issue 286, which is from just a, a year and a half ago. And it's the uh, storm shadow spotlight issue. And it's a flashback to Vietnam. and, uh, it's the Lerp group, and Snake Eyes isn't speaking, and then he speaks, and it's it's really impactful. And you and I like that issue, and I I nudged my manager at my comic shop to read it because he's a GI Joe fan from way back when. He doesn't read the new stuff, but you know he knows I'm big into it, and he knows I do the podcast, and you know he's happy that we carry GI Joe. And I said, oh, you're going to like this issue. It's a good issue. And he read it and he said, yeah, it's okay. I don't feel like it did anything more or better mm-hmm. than previous Larry Hama flashbacks to Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and Stalker in Vietnam. And I said, yeah, yeah. But the bit where Snake Eyes <laughs> says, no, no, write her the letter. Cause, and, and he says, yeah, but we've sort of seen that before where Snake Eyes doesn't talk until he does. And I thought okay, that's a, that's a fair assessment. You know, I don't think it's the best issue ever, but I think it's a very strong issue and it really sticks out in a long run of uh, IDW Hama issues, which don't flash back to uh, Vietnam. But, um, you know, in the same way that I'm critical of Brandon Jirwa, you can go back, but should you, um, Right, what, what my manager's uh, comment was, um, this is well-trodden ground. And, you know, for Hama to put 20 new pages into it, we only got sort of three new little, little bits. And uh, and I think that is a fair critique. So in the same way that I would say, oh, I don't want Brandon Gerwa to just go back because he can, you know, if Hama's going to do flashbacks, or reveal more stuff from the past some of it i think could be off limits because it's well-trodden
0: very good um are we done now with snake eyes declassified tim yes let's close the book on that
1: i'm actually you know what in front of my microphone i'm going to actually close issue six
0: (laughs) excellent stuff so next up uh, we had been saying probably let's get on to America's elite. But on your prompting, Tim, I went and bought a copy of Arashikagi Showdown because I seem to have lost my previous one because I think because of the distra- the manga-sized dimensions of the book, it wasn't with the rest of my collection uh, and has some, somehow gone astray. So um, I think I've got now I've got two copies, one which is on my bookshelf and <laughs> one which is in Places Unknown, Shall we? Shall we cover that next? Because in terms of publishing order, it is the next thing.
1: Sure. Uh, you know what? It's, even though, even though I, even even though I literally just closed issue six, I just want to point out that the um, inside back cover of Snake Eyes Declassified Number Six has a letter from Devil's Due that says, we here at Devil's Due Publishing Incorporated would like to take a moment to say thank you for supporting us over these past five years. We know you have a lot of choices and hope our strong quality and hard work keep you coming back for more. Thank you, DDP reader. And it's signed by Josh Blaylock and uh, several other people. And I could figure out all their names from the signatures if you gave me a moment. And then on the bottom, it's sort of like Devil's Due Publishing uh, letterhead. So uh, this this is a nice point uh in the podcast history to say i know we sometimes jump back and forth with publishing order but we are five years into devil's due here mm-hmm. yes let's read let's read that uh digest original graphic novel in our next episode and uh then we can decide whether we should start america's elite or chronologically should we read the third transformers crossover
0: when was that dated
1: 2006
0: chronologically right. it is a it's a, about a year into okay america's elite
1: really okay wait let me do this again it's covered dated it in march 2006 and america's elite
0: is like june oh 2005, 2005.
1: right is june 2005 okay right, retro sure. uh yes uh yes we should uh so you can cut this because i don't think our, our <laughs> listeners
0: care yeah i mean the only reason we'd want to do it earlier would be just so that we get it you know we could have the solid run of uh america's elite but
1: um yeah let's stay let's stay roughly chronological let's do okay. the showdown and then the
0: um okay okay so it is decided next time uh will be uh, a rashikagi showdown and then probably america's elite unless we get distracted by something else uh so fantastic um Tim, as we're wrapping up, uh, remind us, where can people find you when you are not talking to me?
1: We just passed three million views total at our YouTube page, our YouTube channel, Atomic Abe Productions. That's video essays on TV and film. Uh, My brick and mortar comic book store is Hub Comics. And I write about G.I. Joe at arealamericanbook.com.
0: Excellent. And you can find out more about the show at talkingjo.co.uk, which is the website with links everywhere. If you've not yet left us a review on your favourite podcasting site, please feel free to do that, as well as uh, like and subscribe on YouTube, um, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram all of the normal places including Patreon, we're on Patreon patreon.com talking Joe, a big thanks to all of our backers, Richard, Sam, Jay, Bill Christopher, Justin, Rob Brian, Shane, who are all getting early access to episodes as well as some exclusive content but I think that is us done but remember that
1: Nobody be talking Joe, an international podcast.
0: Hurrah. (laughs) Laters.